May 11, 2020, it's the Watt for Pedro Show.
Walk for Pedro show. Happy Monday, people. Uh, um, Brother Matt, we're still in quitting quarantine mode, so he's at the Love Grotto in Pleasure Point, three miles south of me, but he's here in spirit. I'm not totally man alone, though, because of those engineers in Estonia with their Skype software. I got Nico with me. Welcome aboard. Oh, I should say. What we Thank you. We started the show off with uh, John Coltrane doing impressions because that's what I got from hearing your stuff. Many impressions. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> Lady in the Radiator, which I have to say, in the 70s, late 70s, I saw this movie called Eraserhead, and there was a lady in the radiator. Quite literally. <laughs> yeah, did you ever see it? It might have been David Lynch's first movie. I don't know. but uh, Yeah, that is my, that's one of my favorite movies. Man, is it straight. It, the bottom line I got out of it was even the most smooth, whatever, together thing. If you look close enough, there's pits, there's dirt, there's grime. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That was good. And, uh, God, the main guy, Jack. He, Jack Nance? Yeah, Jack Nance. He reminded me of Jack Brewer, who sang for Saccharin Trust. He was beaten to death at a donut shop or something. Terrible. Jack Nance? Yeah, well, he got home, and then uh, yeah. then he died. Yeah, he had some really, really tragic death. Yeah, he? I think he was beat at a donut shop or outside of it. Horrible way to go, yeah. Jesus Christ! To go well, from playing, you know, you know who else was beat? being a racerhead, Twin Peaks. You know who else was beat, uh, not killed who? by the beaten, but right after. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but his manager man told me, Paul Smith, uh, Alan Vega, a suicide. Really? Yeah, he was, you know, in his late seventies or something on the sidewalk and some altercation, and I mean, who would beat an old man? Seriously, yeah, we man, the '70s sound like there was a lot of brutality, a lot of a lot of street brutality going on. No, no, he was in his '70s. This just happened in the 2000s. <laughs> oh, I thought you said it was in the '70s. I was like, oh, damn, man. Yeah, I think that's when they got the band together. In fact, I, you know, yeah. I got to meet him because they opened up for the Stooges uh, when we did that raw power thing at the Odeon, and he told me, you know, he was an artist. Uh, Sculptor, or painter, or something, and but he saw Stooges at Max's Kansas City, and he thought, "Wow, I want to be in a band too." <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the power of the movement, you know, and people like Egg and the Stooges and uh, Cat Beefheart. This kind of thing, I think, like brought people in. Anyway, to hear it from the man himself, there's yeah. a song off the first Suicide record. It's called "Frankie Teardrop." It's one of the most scary songs in the world. And it's just a voice and a keyboard, you know? That's, you that was what kind of got me to start making music. Oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, I yeah, think yeah. even Bruce Springsteen started using a suicide. He said, a guy like that said suicide was big in his thing. And I think he was using a song when the gig was over. So yeah, well, he, he made, have you heard Nebraska, his album Nebraska, that's kind of inspired by suicide a little bit and actually includes a suicide cover? I think that's the tune. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. That makes sense, because that's, you know, some guy brought me to a gig of his. It was like four hours long, and I conked out and shit. But I remember he played a song where he was the only guy singing with it, and it was from that. Everything, come back someday, you know, some stuff like that. Atlantic City, or <laughs> I don't know. But it, the record was, I was told by the guy who brought me, it was called Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of really kind of, no big, you know, 30 guys in sweaters. <laughs> That's the stuff I saw. 
So anyway, I want to talk about you, your music journey. What's oh. your earliest, Nico, what's your earliest music recollection? Um, honestly, so my, so my dad, uh, he was into like new wave and, you know, I'd seen the dead Kennedys and stuff like, you know, as a kid or whatever. And so, um, he, he listened to a lot of punk and new wave and stuff when he was working out. And for some reason, my brother and I would be hanging out in the weight room with him or in the basement, like, you know, while he's lifting weights and we'd be listening to like squeeze or talking heads or, um, Boingo Boingo, Joe Jackson, that kind of stuff. So my earliest music memories are with with Talking Heads, probably very specifically, or the band Squeeze, or Oingo Boingo. Wow, the second man just, we were asked to do a tribute to Squeeze, and it was called uh, Strangest Inquintessence or something. And I did fuzz bass, and I didn't know much about it. But was your pop just a listener, or did he play too? No, he definitely just listened. Okay. Yeah. So I don't. I don't really come from a musical family. Yeah, I was going to ask the pad you grew up in. Uh, what town? Um, you know, Nowheresville, Wisconsin. Okay. Lot of Middle cheese. of Wisconsin. A lot of cheese. Uh, what? No. What do you call? A lot it? of cheese. Before before it's aged though, what's it called? Uh, curds. Oh hell yeah! And and Greg Norton. That's... Uh, Greg Norton from Husker Du taught me. Uh, they're good when they squeak on your teeth. He's right. He is correct. <laughs> and my favorite <laughs> that I found on tour, I always get a sack when I'm going through, is with dill and garlic. Oh, yeah. you're doing it right. You're doing it right. <laughs> okay, so um, there's there's no instruments in the pad, or did your brother play? My brother eventually, well, I, I got really interested in, in singing um, because it was like my first way of being able to make music is just by singing. And so then I enrolled in like, Piano lessons is like a little little kid, little kid, and then um, voice lessons, and then violin, and then guitar, and then you know my brother was also playing guitar. So can, can I ask you about uh, the piano thing? Because we've had a lot of people on the show. It can be really good experience to really shitty, and it was shitty. Yeah, and it seems like it's just, it's dependent on the teacher. Yeah, and also I feel, I feel like you've got to be one of those pe- the, one of those kids that's really committing to like learning technique. And I just wanted to make noise and make sound and be creative, and so I couldn't focus on the the real nuts and bolts. So it was wasted on me. Okay. All those lessons were wasted on me. <laughs> what, what what about <laughs> school? Were you in the choir or the marching band or shit like that? I was in the choir. You know, I, I of course, as someone that liked to sing, I liked to be involved in things where I could sing. So choir or like musicals. Well, stuff I asked like that, that. Mika, I asked that because a lot of schools cut the music. And arts programs out. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's it's bizarre. It's like where are we going to learn how how culture is made? I, I think we're going to quickly realize, like once we once we recycle all of the culture from the past like century yeah. or the couple centuries, we're going to end up hitting this wall where it's like, whoa, we've resampled in everything into oblivion. No one knows how to play music anymore. So then we're just killing off music quite slowly. But so we'll maybe maybe up, that's a little extreme. We'll bring the programs back to the schools. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would say. <laughs> okay. okay. Can you remember the first record you bought yourself? I think it was. So the first record I bought myself, I think, was A Kick Inside with Kate Bush. Oh, wow. Um, I think the first record that, that I ever owned was the record You by Gong. because. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, my friend that sold me the, my record player, yeah. he was like, hey, take this. And he gave me like a gong record. And I was just like, whoa. <laughs> That's trippy stuff. That's some 70s. Cool. Yeah, yeah, some prog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, what about first gig you went to? Britney Spears. I'm a 90s baby. So well, Britney okay. Spears, I had a pop, you know, I, I, I'm not a, I say this like I'm embarrassed, but I'm really proud of being, like, having that aspect of my childhood, being such, like, a, a 90s pop culture child where it's, like, all those, like, diva singers and everything were really, really, like, inspiring to me because they were, like, people using their voice and, they you know, and, and they were being able to do all this crazy stuff with their voice. I mean, not Britney Spears, but God bless her. She's still the best. But um, Yeah, she's but, uh, the Disney, right, with the dancing. and uh, You know what it ended up this uh, from Korea, the K-pop? I think they're yeah. the ones who've really taken that all the way. Where You, you start them out really young, right, in these uh, kind yeah. of training things. But, but can I tell you the first gig I went to, uh, being a 70s, because I'm 13 in 1970. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Mandy Boone saw T-Rex. Oh, hell yeah. Now, his voice was trippy, right? That I love T-Rex. Yeah, man, that's a great first concert. $2.50. $2.50. Where was this? The Long Beach Auditorium, right across uh, the bridge here. And I'm, uh, San Pedro's in the harbor, the western part of the harbor of Los Angeles. So right across the bridge was, uh, it's called, uh, they tore it down. It, you know what was filmed there was all these Don Kirshner rock concerts, if you remember this TV show. No. Okay. You don't have to. He's the guy who created the Monkees, but he had this stupid show in the 70s where he had, well, it wasn't stupid, because uh, bands would play, which was kind of yeah. unusual then, yeah. And they were they were filmed there, and... But yeah, two dollars fifty cents because uh, concerts in those days were more like promotion to help sell records. Yeah, it wasn't. It, it wasn't <laughs> an industry unto itself. So, uh, you weren't in the marching band, but were you in any kind of groups in school? Um. Oh, well, the choir you said. Yeah, and I was also um, a like competitive singer. So, like, as a, like, classical singer or opera singer, I um, would go to these, like, state and national competitions, and they would rate how well you sing. And um, wow. so that, like, really crushed my spirit from a young, very young age. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Jesus Christ. laughs> competitive, you... competitive singing is, like, yeah. the best way to just ruin your relationship with music and your own personal vocal instrument, like, immediately. <laughs> yeah. but, but, Nika, whose idea yeah. was this? Mine, mine, okay, because I just okay. wanted to be like, I wanted to go to Juilliard and I wanted to become an oh, opera wow. singer. And so I was like, I need to like do all the th like what, whatever I can do to be able to sing and to be able to expand my craft and to like really like get become a better singer. And so my voice teacher enrolled me in these competitions, which were very normal, you know, but very quickly, like it demoralized me to the point where I stopped singing <laughs> quite a few years. Jesus Christ. Man, I, I yeah. want to play here a uh, sea talk.
heart and I do unspeakable things to it.
Watch for Pedro Show. Yeah, Sea Talk. Zola Jesus. After that bilge pump out of Leeds, England, with brown ale for Sister Sarah. Lauren out of New York, Sega Sunset. Thurston Moore Group, Maydays. Thurst lives now in London. Hackney Park. Yannick South. <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> I wonder if Thurst knows. I got to ask him. But uh, the Tell Me Why, brand new. Uh, Darcy Electronics, brand new. The, both these. Um, I think Yannick South's an Italian man. Uh, Hamburg. Swenson Clean out of Canada with four wins. Bark out of Knoxville. Last man standing. Also from Knoxville. Oh man, fuck you. Or Om Fu. Uh, a bit of guitar to close out the side, Clyde. He used to be in a deer hoof for a bit, Steve Chikanti. And then finally, Pilot Light was older Jesus. The Pilot Light. Oh man, those are scary. These heaters. <laughs> yeah, because the Navy housing, when I came to Peter, I remember. We hit the CB's Bills, the Little League field. So we're doing this game, and we hear this thing. We see this thing fly up, and then we hear the boom like five seconds later. And the pilot light had blown out from a heater, and then the gas oh, all shit. built up, and it blew the roof like 50 feet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. Holy shit. So as soon as I, I saw the title and then listened to your tune, I was thinking about that when I was a boy. So what about the thing? You, know, you said you had a... a a singing teacher. How'd that happen? Yeah. Was that your idea? Um, yeah. So I, I was obsessed with singing. I loved singing. And then I um, found in the back of a Rolling Stone magazine that there were there was an advertisement to get like singing tapes, like cassette tapes, where you could learn how to sing. It was like someone just peddling like snake oil. <laughs> and then before I could, I was like filling out the thing to order them. And then my mom comes in the room and she's like, what are you doing? And I told her. And then she was like, that's a waste of money. Let's actually try to find... <laughs> A singer around here, or teacher around here that can help you. So I was like, I don't even remember, seven, eight or something. I was in elementary school. And so she enrolled me in, in voice lessons. And then I basically never stopped until I, I, um, the singing competitions, like, you know, ripped the joy out from under me. And then I stopped <laughs> singing for a while. <laughs> well, but yeah, it's. She didn't dress you up for like them uh, beauty pageant things, you know. No, no, <laughs> no. It was it was just pure. But it was still, I can pure laser precision criticism. Nika, what about this trip? Like after school, the the bedroom or garage or basement bands. Did you ever do any of that stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Except I had a problem where I didn't believe in myself. So then I it made me it made it really hard for me to like jam with people. Because, you know, to jam, there's like a level of confidence you need to have in what you're doing. But I, 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 I didn't have that. So then, you know, so then my brother would jam with his friends and then I would basically just watch or, you know what I mean, just yeah, jam but on you my know, own. Jamming, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something trippy. I, I think this is with some classical musicians, but I've, I've had people on the show like that lady who's crap top brick we were talking about. She's incredible musician, but. She can't improvise. You got to give her the yeah. music. It's it's hard. It's I mean, it's so many different parts of the brain. Like, and that's something that I've realized becoming more autonomous as a musician. Like, I produce my own stuff. I write my own yeah, stuff. Yeah. I perform my own stuff. I, yeah, you know, and then it's just like you got to be so many different things at once. And um, especially when you have, you're technically trained, like you're coming from this you're coming from this angle where it's like whatever you're doing, it needs to be like excellent. Like you're aiming for excellence at all times, but then it doesn't give you room to fail if you're constantly like aiming for excellence. There's no like, and jamming is like, 
you got to kind of lay back and kind of feel things and be okay with failing and stuff, you know? Sure, sure. Cut yourself some slack. Can I totally. ask you if this is kind of a parallel? I got friend Petra. She's got perfect pitch. And I would think this was a great gift, but she says in a way it's a curse. Because yeah. everything is fucking out. <laughs> so it's always Horrible. annoying. She says even opening the door and the hinge squeaking is out of tune. <laughs> Oh no! What a just what a nightmare! You're just living in this nightmare where everything sounds horrible. But like you're saying, you want everything to be technically right, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. When did you start writing your own songs? Um, in elementary school when I was about seven. Wow. Uh, you know, we did a recess. You know how you have recess, so you go outside yeah. and you play at the playground. Everyone play was playing soccer, playing sports, or dicking around. I was on the swing set, and I had a little notepad, and I would like write songs. Oh man! There, because I yeah. asked because the way in the seventies, the way we learned when we were boys, you copied records. And That's a smart way of learning how to how to play music. Yeah, but you don't learn how to write. You don't use music for expression, though. You just learn how to like build models. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> it teaches you skills, though. It teaches you skills. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, whenever you play, you're getting ready for the next time you play. That's the philosophy I got into. So it's yeah. never wasted. But, man, just copying people. I mean, everyone we knew, we didn't know anybody who wrote their own songs. So you're doing this at seven, eight years old at the swing set. That's bitching. It's fun. Yeah, it's and fun. I think that's one of the products of the movement because it really opened things up. Like, why not start a band? Why not write a song? And before that, like where I grew up, no, you had to be certain kind of competence, certain kind, you know, come from Valhalla yeah. or uh, Olympus or something. <laughs> ah, that's. I not- guess you're right. There, was, it felt more inaccessible in a way to to be an artist. Where maybe right? Yeah, just think about it too. There's no clubs, Nika. So you're going to these yeah. arena rock shows. You can't unless you've got a really good sense of ego you're like i'm gonna be playing yeah. here no but a club yeah, you can yeah. kind of imagine that a little bit more also it'd be trippy man you know you, you'd be watching the germs and they get done playing and then pat smear is standing right next to you that did not happen in arena rock gigs mark boland did not sit yeah. next to me when he got done playing <laughs> well that's what was so sort of disillusioning about seeing britney spears is i was like in the nosebleed seats yeah. in this arena yeah. And it was so unfulfilling, like it shattered me. It was kind of like seeing, like seeing your idol, but seeing everything like it. It, it just was really uh, crushing or heartbreaking because it didn't feel real. It didn't. I didn't feel like I didn't get what I was going for. What what, what I thought I would get out of it because those those venues are so big. It's so depersonalized. Boy. There's no intimacy. It doesn't feel. It's like I, I would have a better experience watching it on TV or something than actually being you know in seat like one hundred and thirty five thousand d or whatever you know what i mean where you're just like in a baseball field i totally field. know what you mean nika because that was every yeah. one of my gigs until the fucking movement i had never yeah. been to a club until you know somebody told me this guy was he, he was one one of the bands you know and this is like 1977 hey there's a scene up in hollywood where people write their own songs <laughs> Whoa. And we were like, whoa. And it was the first time all my gigs were like your Britney Spears gig. Well, I, I can't honestly, I can't fathom 
I can't fathom that. It's kind of like when it's it reminds blip, me it, of like it's a blip in the timeline because you know working with the Stooges, they told me in the '60s there was all kinds of garage bands and clubs. It was yeah, just this, yeah. this this one weird thing in the '70s where rock and roll turned into this huge you know Nuremberg rally. So yeah, you know we're at the end of the first hour. Very interesting. <laughs> Uh, May 11, 2020, Dish Watt, Peter, show, uh, special guest, Nico, hold tight for hour two. May 11, 2020, it's the second hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
one of the worst patches that I ever worked on was this real hellhole in a particularly, shall we say, irreparable part of East Ham. It really shouldn't have been difficult at all. There was just a small block of two flats. They were situated above the entrance to a small dead-end car park in a place that never fully got sunshine behind some shops in High Street. The car park and flats were mine to clean, and it shouldn't have been a chore to get the job done. However, there were several excessively off-putting factors that made my efforts somewhat irrelevant. I called it Shit Alley. Oftentimes, I'd be there picking litter or giving a little sweep, and some incredibly mixed-up zombie of variable age and sex would wander right up ten feet from where I was cleaning, drop trow, and proceed to take a big old crap on the pavement, as if I didn't exist. Keeping the floor clean was impossible. Every day of the week, there were needles and crack-bong bottles, condoms and tampons, various types of booze container, freshly made chudner, the odd dead rat, and as many cigarette butts as there are stars in the universe. There were a cluster of eight sheds at the far side of the car park originally intended for the residents that lived in and above the shops. But they had been turned out and burned out so many times that the people didn't bother to use them anymore. The sheds, or rather the charred remains of them, became little shooting galleries. They were so full of needles that I refused to go in them, even with the right personal protective equipment. Inside the block, things weren't any better. On the first level lived a nice lady who seemed normal enough, and on the second floor lived a guy in his early fifties who had some kind of mental health issues. The poor guy and his home had been made the target of a local crack-dealing gang who basically muscled their way into his flat and took it over. They were a nasty bunch. He would get run out of his place whenever they wanted to use it, and he was terrified to tell anybody. I'd enter into the small block through the front door, and all of his clothes and household stuff would be thrown down all the four flights of stairs, which you'd climb with a somewhat heightened sense of trepidation. Upon ascension to the top floor, most of the time, the door to the flat itself would be lying on the landing. It would always be slightly worrying to think that anyone at all could be in there, and from what I could see into the hallway of the flat, it had been smashed to bits. I would sometimes be cleaning in the block, and someone would be outside, buzzing and banging the door, trying to see if there was anyone in there to score off of, because 
I wouldn't ever let them in. They'd start banging and kicking the door, shouting threats and abuse. I'd just walk upstairs till I was out of view and wait for them to give up and try somewhere else. Thankfully, they always did. That said, though, some asshole making pistol gestures to you with his fingers at the glass door whilst you're trying to finish a floor that you can see your reflection in is not something that was necessarily in the job description. One day, I arrived on site to find that the car park had been covered in police tape. The night before... Something had gone bad in the flat, and a man was badly beaten and thrown out of the second-floor window. It's always a downer having to clean up a puddle and sometimes blood or sweep up some poor bastard's teeth. In this case, I'd heard that the guy who went out of the window later died. As for the unfortunate lady who lived on the first floor, well, she had a boyfriend, but he was overseas in the army. So she was all on her own in the middle of all of this insanity. When she gave a statement to the police about what she'd heard the night of the window incident, the copper that was there taking it down made her an offer. He declared that the police would not be able to do a great deal to solve the problems on the block because of a lack of witnesses to the event, but that he, if she fancied going out for a good time with him, he'd have the police sorted all out in a click of his fingers. Real nice of him. Sadly, for the fine upstanding lawman, The lady on the first floor had no intention of having any kind of good time with him. So sadly for her, and myself to a lesser extent, there would be no resolution forthcoming. It has to be said that I did not miss Shit Alley when my tenure there came to an end. The only way you'll get it clean is with a gigantic fucking wrecking ball.
warped by the rain, I've been driven by snow. I'm drunk and dirty, don't you know, but I'm still willing. And I was working on the road so late at night, and I seen my pretty Alice in every headlight. Alice, Dallas, Alice, I've been from Tucson to Tucumcari. Touch a feet of ton of I've driven every kind of rig that's ever been made. And I've driven on a back road so I wouldn't get weighed. If it give me weed, whites, and wine. Then he show me a sign. I'll be willing to keep moving. You know, I smuggle some smokes and folks out of Mexico. I get baked by the sun nearly every time I go down to Mexico. But I'm still getting kicked by the wind and robbed by the sleet. I had my head stoved in and I'm on my feet. I'm still willing to go from Tucson to Tucumcari. Touch a feet of ton of paw. Drive any kind of rig that you can make. And I'll drive on the back road so I won't get weighed If you give me weed, whites, and wine And then you show me a sign I'll be willing to get moving Pete, uh, what have you guys been up to? Uh, well, these guys have been playing in another band, and I've been playing by myself. And uh, here's where I get to put my plug in. I'll be at the Sands in Las Vegas. No, I'll be at <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at Farragher's back room uh, to the 29th and 30th, which is on South Taylor Road for all you Westsiders. Uh, and it's a really nice place. And I'll be there with Ron Franklin, who won't be playing with me, but he'll be playing the same night. And hopefully, if I can get my little friend to come down from Toronto, I'll have a fiddle player with me, which is always a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeehaw. You can yes. square dance, yeah, you're right. It evokes all the hillbilly memories. So that'll be the Temporal Worth High Steppers with Pete Lochner at Farragher's. I keep changing these names, you know, it's like... Mm.
the griddle, the crab and the fiddle, and the red sun sinking into a whale. Way, 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 way out in blue jail, in salty blue jail. Seaweed beard from bone tree. Oh, yeah. Neptonic cacophonic poetry. I'll do nothing, stool, you. Not a cuckoo, while the dolphins do your work, and the mermaids stir your gruel. Seaweed beard from bone tree. For Pedro Show, we started the second hour off. Of Zola Jesus doing soak. Uh, John Amplis, Levil J. Calcut. After that, with Shit Alley, some spoken word, England. Mega Doubt, featuring Simone A. They're out of Trieste. Swiss Tot Bora, Peter Lochner. I'm willing. Cleveland scene. Herman Gray, 
Tom Herman, who's having me aboard for a proj. That's incredible because, uh, man, did uh, Minutemen love Perubu, that modern dance record. And Cap Beef. Love Perubu. Yeah, incredible band. They did the modern dance. In fact, I found out later that the drummer man forgot where they parked the boat, the van. They didn't, yeah, it was hard. Uh, was it a quick getaway? <laughs> it was a whiskey to go-go. David uh, Thomas was pe- be, uh, had a rail, spike, and a hammer. That beats a cowbell. Okay. Oh, wow. Right. And then uh, seaweed, beard, foam, bone tree. Yeah, that's a cat beef heart. Uh, read some poems right after quit music and start just painting. And then Doma. Zola Jesus. You know, Doma, uh, we got a big Croatia community here. So, yeah, the church, the house. Uh, we, oh, we got cool. a Hrvatsky yeah. dome. Yeah, so Sla- Slavic uh, uh, language, right? Yep, yep. Okay, okay. Yeah. I think even the big church in Cologne, they call it the dome. And, uh, I think it is often, yeah, Duomo, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Duomo, yeah, Italiano, yeah. Uh, Italiano. Right, right. But let's let's <laughs> get back to your music journey. Uh, well, okay, when did the Zola Jesus start that persona for you that started well the persona started when i was 14 and then the music started when i was 19 i think and what's the connect what's the what connect what's the connect yeah 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 the connect you mean from 14 to 19 and 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 this persona because you said it wasn't, yeah, yeah. So, it wasn't musical at first. Yeah, so I, uh, I mean, I was kind of a weird kid. So I, when I left middle school and went into high school, yeah, I just came up with this. In the interim, I came up with this name Zola Jesus because I discovered Emil Zola, and I just oh yeah, the poet. <laughs> I, yeah, and I was a right. fan of Teenage Jesus and the Jerks and Jesus and Mary Chain and you know all wow. Jesus Lizard, all the Jesus bands. So then I was just like. I just decided that this name Zola Jesus, I don't know, I just like it. So I told people to call me Zola Jesus. They, they alienated me and ostracized me even more after that. And then when I started making music, I was like, oh, I already have this Zola Jesus like moniker. So I just retro- I just like applied that to my music. And, you know, because it was inspired by so many bands. Right. Now, I don't know artistic. if that was the right idea or not, but here we are. <laughs> You, do, do, do you have any of those uh, 45s from Teenage Jesus and the Jerks? I don't know, 45s, but I do have some records. I don't okay. know if they're compilations, because but they, I have, like, a couple. Like Orphans? I don't think I have Orphans. Okay. I have one that's, like, I think through, it's almost like a split. Orphans with, um, running through the bloody snow. Orphans running through. Well, anyway, if you look on there, it's got uh, Big Jim. He plays with uh, Bad Seeds right now, Nick Cave. But it just says drum. You <laughs> just play snare drum. <laughs> See, but this is this is where like th- this is the beginning of my musical journey is just being like, okay. So my first band was like me on vocals, and then I had someone on guitar and bass, and then my brother played the tom drum. And for you just like play drum, three, okay, <laughs> three years, just drum, just tom drum. Because I was like, you don't need any. What do you need, like? What do you need a kick for if you have a tom? Just get a floor tom. You're done. <laughs> it's a lot easier tearing up down and setting up. Oh, oh yeah. Hell yeah. What a trip. Yeah, well, you know, the, the lady was uh, Lydia Lunch. Mm-hmm. She was the lady behind Teenage Jesus. And a very interesting, uh, very provocative 
if I could think of one lady in a movie that I think of when I think of Lydia, it's Nurse Ratched and when flew over the cuckoo's nest. Oh wow, interesting. Yeah, she's, she's a very provocative lady, but she's great artist. Yeah. Great artist. She had a band after that called Eight Eye Spy, and she did yeah. some collaborations with the guys in the birthday party and Thurston and stuff. And that that's so great that you're hip to that because that was so small. Well, that's what that's what really opened me up is discovering like No Wave and like Diamante Glass and oh, yeah, you know yeah. Mars DNA like uh, Fetus like all that like the New York Jim stuff Fetus, yeah. was really exciting because it was just like it was like it was aggressive and I liked punk like I was coming kind of coming from a punk angle but then it was yeah. like gnarly and weird and minimalist and yeah. like unhinged and. I loved it. I want to play Lick the Palm of the Burning Handshake by you.
has this, when it's really good, it lasts forever and you're going to pick up fans. Eventually people are going to be born and they're going to be, be born into Kate Bush fans, you know, or whatever, <laughs> whoever it is. She had quit and raised a family, right? Yeah. She, I think she really like, she stepped out for a minute and then, she, you know, but came back and thing. then people were open-minded. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm not of yeah. your generation. It's more universal. It's it's transcendent through generations. Yeah, that was something. That's my power. my the my '70s group of people were too narcissist. We wouldn't even listen to shit five years old. I remember seeing that Woodstock movie, and Sha Na Na comes on, and people are like booing, and they're booing a movie, <laughs> like this is my dad's music. Fuck this shit. Can you believe that? And it was only like what ten years old. Now a kid will like... Well, there was a lot more tribalism back then, probably. Yeah, but on on different levels. I think there's a little tribalism now. But it's on a different level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's different. <laughs> but, but as far as the arts and music, it's a lot more open-minded. I, I'm not saying everything's solved and fixed, but it's a lot more open-minded. And, and somebody yeah. like you who knows about fucking new wave... New wave. Well, you know new wave, but you also know no wave. And you know Lydia. Yeah. And you know, you know DNA. Wow. Ikuwe Mori, the, the drummer lady, she didn't even know yeah. how to play. She just went for it. Balls She's out. She's amazing. Okay, so we heard Lick the Palm of the Burning Handshakes, Oh Jesus. God is not a mountain from Imad Wasif. Ritual number three, Timothy Erie, the blank taste, don't you feel. Kevlar Bikini out of Croatia with ballerina toes. And finally, Hikikimori. Oh Jesus. You know what Hikikimori is, right? Oh, yeah. They never go up, they never leave their pad. I mean,. I feel that. <laughs> we're all hikikomori right yeah, now. Right. So. now. Now, you were saying, uh, you were asking me off air well, what, what my uh, opinion of the current mood is with the music. And it's like a little cynical. And I think you're right. But I do also think there's a lot of stuff going on that's kind of bubbling under the surface, too. Totally. And one good thing we have now that we didn't have in those days is the Internet. It was we. You, I literally had to go into the studio with the person. Now you can trade files. I mean, that was impossible before. Yeah. So there's some good and there's bad. Uh, there's a lot of good, a lot yeah, of good. Yeah. But I feel like maybe just the the entire mood of our culture right now is kind of very cynical. Yeah. Very. Yeah. Ho there's a hopelessness to it, but it's it's so hopeless that it's sort of like it's cynical. That's just the best way to put it. People are just doing what they got to do. And uh, do you remember that, God bless them. You remember that album Pink Floyd did called Dark Side of the Moon? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of little voices and shit. And at the very end, you hear this voice go, you know, there is no dark side of the moon. It's all dark. <laughs> oh, That's pretty yeah. bleak, right? That's pretty bleak. <laughs> <laughs> That's my kind of guy. Kind of or, or voice. <laughs> now, you know why it is the dark side of the moon? Why? Because it rotates the same time it takes to go around the earth, so we never see the other side. Ah, yeah. I thought it was always had to do with the sun. No, it has to do with the way it turns. Like, we turn in 24 hours, but it takes us 365 days, right? Yeah, they, theirs yeah. is exactly the same, so we never get to see that other side, and that's why some pe uh, scientists think it was actually from us. It was a chunk after we got hit with something and came out. But but anyway, I'm oh, getting off the track. Uh, do, do you remember your first gig that wasn't a 
of a vocal competition, like with, with, with your brother and shit, playing in front of people? Playing? Yeah. Um, well, I played like talent shows and stuff as a child, but then my first show is, as Zola Jesus would be my first like show with my own music and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And that was in a uh, the basement of a pizza parlor in Madison, Wisconsin. <laughs> Oh, Madison. Okay, so Lake yeah, Mendota, yeah. Lake Monona, Lake Mendota, right? That's it, right. It's isthmus, but yeah, in the winter time, it must be really neat when the wind blows. <laughs> oh, it was freaking cold. It was super. So you're in the basement of the. So was there? There was good smells. Really good pizza. Glass nickel. Shout out. Not okay. sponsored. <laughs> okay, you know, there's a great drummer who lived the rest of his life there. Uh, a funky drummer, right? Uh, Clyde Stubblefield. We lost him last really? year. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, he was on tour with Jim Brown, and they had a gig there. And he said, fuck it, I'm going to live here. And I was, he was doing like every wow. Monday night. He's like one of the most sampled drummers ever, that funky drummer thing. I had no idea. Well, that's why I wanted you on the show, so you could learn that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, like a, I'm taking hour. notes over here, man. <laughs> 2020 special guest, Nick, and hold time for hour three. May 11, 2020, it's the third hour of the Watt for Pedro show.
Life for Pedro Show, third hour, started off with Tell It to the Widow, Zola Jesus. How old were you when you wrote that? Tell It to the Widow. I was probably 19, 20. Fuck. Wise beyond your uh, years. <laughs> Usually you have to... It's called being, um, being lonely. Okay. <laughs> and, and imaginative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your forest destination with rendezvous after that. Pittman Green Decision Baby Makes Mustache by the Loyals. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Can't uh, talk and eat chow at the same time. Why? Chris Burns out of Canada <laughs> with poor Laura. Andre Vita out of Berlin. Slow down. And Zola Jesus, Orthodox. Where do, uh, tell me the recording process. How do you do it, Nika? Uh, well, back in that day... Like from tell it to tell it to the widow and stuff like that. Yeah. That was just me on my bed with um, computer and some keyboards and stuff. But these days, it's evolve. It evolves based on what my ambitions are. So I'll go to a studio or I'll record things at home or you know. You're in northern Wisconsin, and they got studios up. Yeah. There. Uh, no, I mean when I say studio, I mean I have a house. I have a house, and I have a room in my house that has a computer in it and a microphone and some speakers. Oh, okay. So that's. That's my version of a studio. No, hey, it's good enough, right? I mean, these, but yeah, yeah, but I'll, I've recorded a bunch of stuff for, in LA. Stuff. If you ask me, these records sound incredible. I mean, they're 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 kicking, but there's a lot of stuff I find people right out of their bedrooms are doing some good stuff. Yeah. So that's why I asked about it. Oh, so you've come to LA to record? Yeah, yeah. And so I'll I'll go to studios there. I was actually supposed to be in LA a month ago recording drums for my next record. I'm with this guy, Matt Chamberlain. But um, oh, I know, you know what? He grew up what? in Pedro. Really? I wouldn't shit you. That's amazing. He, Matt He's Chamberlain so grew up. In fact, my second man drummer, Jared Trebitich, grew up with him. And That's so Matt, insane. I think he moved back. To, you know, he was in Seattle for a long time. He's in Hollywood again. Not again. That's but crazy. He wanted to move yeah. to Pedro, but his wife wanted to be in Hollywood, he told me. So. Aww. But he, he's a good drummer. Yeah, I'm, I got to do all of yeah. the fucking Maggot Brain album at the Viper Room with George Clinton and Doug Wimbish, Blackbird McKnight, Kid Funkadelic. I couldn't believe it. What? I thought it was going to be a blues jam in E minor, and it turned out, yeah, Matt Chamberlain was a drummer. So you, you had, ask him about that. Wow, what a small world. Yeah, what a small world. Very small world. So, so wh what happens when you do that? Do you like kind of direct them? Yeah, well, I, I haven't worked with him yet. We've only been working remotely, but I was supposed to come down there, and I was, I'm was i working with this uh, co-producer on my next record, and his name is Randall Dunn. Okay. Um, and so he's friends with Matt, and so he hooked us up, and we were all going to go down there and, and you so, know. So I have a bunch of recorded drums, and then I want him to kind of, like, take that as inspiration for what I programmed, but then just, like, go far beyond whatever I'm capable of as a programmer. So... Oh, so, yeah. that, so that's what you do with the musicians. You, you, you kind of give them a little, like a demo or something, and then you ask them to take it from there? Yeah, 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 usually. Or or if they're like string players, usually I'll just like write something and have them play it. Um, but I, lately I've been more interested in getting people's, um, really letting people like explore what they're good at and doing that because, you know, I'm not that talented. So I'm not as... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, there's an aspect about being a solo artist where you kind of have to be like a drummer, a bassist, um, a keyboardist, a vocalist, oh, yeah, a producer, yeah. engineer. 
and there's a point at which you know I can do some things, but I can't do them as well as these other people that devote their lives to it. So I, I want to like you respect wanna, that. You want to delegate out stuff to to, to people with you yeah. Know, it's got some focus on there, but still you got the big picture. So I think that's important too. You need somebody in the wheelhouse, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, I want to play light stick here.
that's all. Remember the very best times we had. Let's not forget them. Nothing could be that sad. When times are weird like now, they will make you glad. We've all got hours to let our minds run free. Sometimes our best times were never, ever planned. Might have been a party or by a lake, a desert sand. When someone found you on a trip, you took unplanned. We used to wander the world and we'd see places you dream of. Perfect weather, beauty. No Ishwanstein, the Louvre, the Tivoli. Buildings by Gaudi could bring ecstasy. Life's going fast now. Life's not just for show. We see more meaning now. Someday we hope to know. We tried. To find the best books and films to see, art and photography, architecture, great cuisine. We love to see design in cities that we adore: Paris, London, and Berlin, Tokyo, and more. We hope that those we love will last a while. Remember laughter, recall a certain smile. There's so much beauty left in the world to see. Our job in life is research mystery. There's so much left to learn before we take our rest. Like how did you meet the one? We hope our friendships will last a while, laughing and joking, and will we still be able to
you know, I want to be in control, but there's an aspect of collaboration that I think is being lost. The more people are like sequestered in their bedrooms, making music on their computers, yeah. you know, you're not going to get a Clyde Stubblefield anymore. You're not going to get this, this real musicianship of collaboration and being in the room with someone and really feeding off the energy and feeding off of their lifetime of experience as a musician, you know? And I think that that's like, that needs to be preserved. And I have respect for that. So that makes good sense. It really does. And it's from your experience. It's not just a theory. That's that's really great. Man. Yeah. Uh, we heard Lightstick, Zola Jesus, Ecstasy of the Fire Snake from Med Mass. Uh, Mike Rignetto with Half Depth, Vivale, Memories, Chinese Herbal Medicine with Ed, and finally, Sower Sewer. Did I pronounce that right? Sir Sewer? I don't know. Yeah. Sir? 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 Where can people find you on the internet? Um, if you just type in Zola Jesus, ZolaJesus.com, Instagram.com slash Zola Jesus, Twitter.com. You know, if you just no, but you do put have, on a website. You do have your own website, right? ZolaJesus.com. That's so important. Because to me, that's like having your own fucking fanzine. There's no middleman. Yeah. yeah you know, right? no filter. You could stick your flyers on all those other te- telephone poles. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's so great that you got your own fanzine. Oh, yeah, totally. And that way you have the total... Uh, residents of 1976, you know, 77, the movement, you know, where I'm going to put out my zine and nobody's going to tell me what to write. And, and I'm curious, what's next for you? Uh, you well, you were going to do these drums with Matt. So you got a new album yep. planned? Got a new album planned, yep. And, how's and it just waiting to work on that, but I need people for that. So, yeah, <laughs> just kind of sitting and waiting. Well, like Orson Welles said, right? No wine before it's time. Uh, but it was always time for our horse and I made him once at Pink's by a hot dog stand up in Hollywood. Yeah, I used to live near Pink's on Melrose and La Brea. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I used to live a couple blocks from Pink's. This is a, I don't know, early 80s or something. He's got chili dog in each hand. I go, Mr. Wells, he goes, Young man, I'd like to shake your hand, but I am busy. Oh my god, that is an awesome story. I want to. And he's huge, you know. If he's Orson Welles doing anything, he's holding two Pink's hot dogs in his hands, like. And he was oh. a big man, not just wide, but tall. Yeah. yeah, he's big, big, barn door. So, this new uh, record that needs people. How's it different from these old, uh, these previous guys' records? Just. I've been feeling very, uh, I don't know, I mean, you know, you make a record, like your first record's super easy in a way because you're just doing whatever, and then it's all new, yeah. you know, and it was fun for the first couple records, but with each, rec- with each record, with each collection of songs, I have to dig deeper and deeper and like really like, you know, find new ways in to the source. Sure. So that, that's been a process, um, but also just really want to embrace collaboration, embrace approaching my musicality differently, like just really getting in there. I mean, that's, this is one aspect of the the record that I just feel like talking about, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm just, I just keep trying to get closer to doing my, uh, doing my life justice. Do you meet musicians younger than you? Um, not as often. I usually, all my friends, um, are usually in that are in the music scene are like 10 to 20 years older than me. So they're less younger. <laughs> yes, they're less younger. 
Well, if somebody who was more younger asked you for advice about this music racket, what would you tell them? Um, I would, oh God, I'd say don't count on anything. I mean, it's, it's, as a musician, just embrace, I would urge anyone, young or old, to just embrace like their their truest form and not try to assimilate or fit in, you know, and I've had that pressure as someone that makes popular music and I'm like, Oh, maybe I can do, maybe I can be like Britney Spears. And then, you know, I know that that's inevitably not going to happen because I'm just not that person. <laughs> um, you know, I can't like go from knowing Diamond Galas and Lydia Lunch exists and then like trying to play arenas like and work with Live Nation and, and like be on the cover of Vogue or whatever. It's like, I just, my like the insides of me don't know how to do that. But, um, but yeah, just trust your, trust your voice. That's, that's great advice, really. And it's been such yeah. an honor to have you on the show. Truly, Nika. Uh, Thank you, you. When you get Same. done with this record, can you come back on and we talk about it? I, I'm, I'm curious to see what it takes to make this. A hundred percent. Okay. People, it's been May 11, 2020, Dishwap Pedro Show. Keep your powder dry.